everyone and welcome back to a new episode of Jumpcast from the award-winning team at Jumpcot Online. Today we are taking a voyage back to 2011 when the MCU was still in its infancy. And as phase four begins today, we are looking at the almighty Thor. And to do that, I have three wonderful guests joining me. I have Reese. How are you? I'm, well, I've been all over the place last two days for various kind of non-film related reasons. Um, but I'm feeling good, man. I'm excited to talk about this film because I, I awesome. as I've said, I have thoughts on it. So, <laughs> and I'm joined by Eleanor. How are you as well? Hey, I'm very good, thank you. I am excited to hear if your mum has any <laughs> opinions on this film. Oh, she, oh, she does. She does. Oh, great! <laughs> the episode's already a winner already. Then. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, how are you, my friend? I'm very well, thank you. Excited to talk about the. Um early bits of the MCU. Yeah, it's it's really interesting looking back on it. I've been literally just finished rewatching it about 20 minutes ago and having all these films now that we're able to access, it's quite awesome to look back on it now. But um, before we do get on to the titular film of the episode, I thought we'd talk a little bit about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, the trailer came out yesterday, accompanied by a poster as well. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but this is like my most hyped of the new Phase 4 films. Like I've been on board with this since it was announced, and I've always had a bit of love for the character anyway, even though you can't really access his comics anymore, sadly, because they're all out of print. But um, yeah, I watched this trailer like five times yesterday. <laughs> oh man, it looks so, so good. <laughs> Eleanor, I'm going to go to you first. What did you think of Shang-Chi? I, I, well, yeah, I liked it. I liked the fact that, for me, it's a character I know nothing about like really sort of my knowledge of the ten rings of the mandarin is sort of how the iron man films play with them so i think it's going to be really interesting seeing how that comes into the uh like the the real version as it were into the mcu yeah. and uh yeah it looks really cool uh and yeah i think it's going to be fun going into an mcu film that's kind of got a different vibe and is whole new characters because it's been a while since we've had one that's not had any characters we've not known before in the film. So I think that's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. We're getting a whole like fresh approach to the MCU. I mean, I think aesthetically it still looks like an MCU film. But that's a whole different subject you can dive into on a <laughs> podcast itself. But um, yeah, it, it's cool that we're going in a completely new direction, a more martial arts kind of focused character. Hopefully it won't... Um, Shit the bed as it will, like Iron Fist is. <laughs> but yeah, I'm really excited to this. Uh, Chris, what about you, bud? Um, I'm excited by it. looks very kind of lightning in a bottle. A rem- um, bit like yeah. the first Guardians film. Um, because I went into that, you know, no knowledge of that universe and loved it. So I'm kind of hoping for something similar. Um, yeah, it just looks exciting. Um, there's no kind of massive, massive names in it either. I mean, Aquavina's in it. Um, that's about it. So yeah, I think I'm very excited to see what they do with it. Reese, I know like me, you watched this trailer quite a few times and you were pretty much sold with it. How mm. are you feeling about Shang-Chi in September? Yeah, I am I am also excited. I think I know next to nothing about the character. Like even the Mandarin connections. I'm like Eleanor in that I only know the Iron Man 3 version of the Mandarin, so I don't know what that mm-hmm. character is about. But I am excited to see a film that is very martial arts focused. Like there were a few shots in it that really gave me kind of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon vibes. Like there was a really cool fight scene where it was in like a very kind of autumnal tree wooded area 
and it looked like Ghost of Tsushima, and I was like, this is pretty sick. <laughs> um, and I think it looks really impressive in terms of the choreography. Um, there were some really, really cool shots, and I like the commitment it seems to have to kind of long-take, long-form fight scenes that we've seen kind of become much more popular in recent years with things like John Wick and The Raid and all that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do with it. I think my one reservation probably is that it does still look a bit kind of conventional origin story-ish, but I guess that's what we've come to see from any Marvel film, really, is that an, an Iron Man, a Captain Marvel, a Thor is always going to have, follow the same kind of structure, um, but it's how they kind of get to that structure and how they work around it is going to make it more interesting, I think, and I think the way that it's all martial artsy is going to make it a very unique film in the MCU. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how it connects to kind of the wider universe. I, I, I was saying to you yesterday in private, like, with the Mandarin specifically, I think Kevin Feige went on record a few months ago saying that it will tie back to the earlier films, especially like with Iron Man 1, because mm. obviously he was captured by the Ten Rings um, people there, and then we got a, kind of like a bait and switch in Iron Man 3 with the Mandarin. So I'm curious to see whether they will call back to mm. that earlier part of the universe or maybe like you um had a theory that it could be set pre iron man yeah i don't know who knows it could be a thing where maybe there's like a flashback scene set before iron man one um which would open the door to an amazing rdj cameo which would be incredible that would be a nice way to bring <laughs> it back for a, a little scene but yeah i think it would be really nice if it was like a, a surprise that oh it was set in 2007 all along and it, you know you hear Bust it on the radio, like that'll be pretty sick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, my only thought then, if it was like pre Iron Man, is just I'd be thinking, where is this guy who's like the master of martial arts been all yes, this time? I thought that. Where were you? <laughs> could have used you in Endgame. <laughs> we could have used you in Infinity War, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm excited as well because like with the Netflix deal that ended and now. Disney apparently had the rights back to the show was like Iron Fist is a character that has like his kind of world in, in Kun Lun and I'm curious whether any of that would ever cross over with, with um with Shang Chi's world. I know they've met a few times in the comic books, but I don't know. It's open yeah, I think because Iron Fist was received quite poor, if we're being honest <laughs> about it. I'm not sure they'll be in a rush to bring him back, whereas people are clamoring for Matt Murdock to reprise um in Spider-Man No Way Home. Is that the title we're going? Is it No Way Home? No Way Home. Uh, right, yeah. Best of my understanding, yeah. <laughs> we'll just call it Spider-Man 3.0. We'll just call it that. <laughs> That's what I'll know it as. The three yeah, Spider-Men. Yeah. I hope. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty obvious by now. I mean, again, that's another podcast in itself. But... <laughs> oh, my God. That's another movie I'm dying to see. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't get... Tangent, Spider-Man, I'm going to put it aside. <laughs> but, yeah. Shang-Chi, we think it's going to be good? I hope so. I hope so. I think generally, and I think it will. I think, like, um, the director, I can't think of his name now, but he did, like, Just Mercy, Mercy in Short Term 12 and stuff. And he oh, thought, just, uh, Daniel Destin Cretin, I think his name is? Something, something like, that. like that, yeah. And I think, so it's kind of quite different in terms of, like, the martial arts action, but I do quite like how Marvel does give these sort of more indie maybe more dramatic directors a chance at something huge mm. so i think it's uh i think i like that aspect of it as well and i've liked all his previous films yeah. so i feel like that's a good enough sort of reason to potentially like this one. Oh yeah like short term 12 is excellent i think that was his first film wasn't it short term 12 oh yeah i believe I so, so yeah 
I think it like it speaks to the direction they're going with Phase Four because this was supposed to be the first film of Phase Four, mm. and then um, they delayed it, and Black Widow's been put in in its place to like, <clears throat> debut, if you will. So I'm curious, like the direction of the new like era of Marvel, it's all very cosmic and weird and strange, <laughs> and like, I've been wanting them to embrace this kind of side of of all these characters for so long, and we've had kind of hints of it, like with Guardians of the Galaxy and Thor Ragnarok, and now we're getting like a full-on dive into it with the Eternals as well. Mm. In December, it's coming out, I think, still? I think, I think, uh, sure. I think November. It's, yeah, it's just before Spider-Man, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So I is it four? Like wow. Few, is it like four movies this year now because of the backlog? Jeez. Yeah. And then I think five next year or four again. <laughs> like there's it's an awful lot. Oh my god. It's one of those things where I do worry. As much as I love Marvel, like I'm loving kind of Falcon and Soldier the minute this year, I am concerned that we might kind of have a Marvel overload at some point. Like it's not happened mm. yet because it has been all spaced out months apart. Whereas now because we've got this pretty much endless stream of Disney plus Marvel content of one division, two week break Falcon, a baby like four weeks break. And then Loki's coming out and then we've got yep. black widow and then we've got Shang-Chi and it's just like, there's the, then we've got miss Marvel and in, in October and then we've got Eternals. And then we've got Spider-Man three. And it's just like, mate, it feels like we've got a weekly Marvel at this point. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's quite a lot to take in. <laughs> it's like so, yeah. there's something every week for the rest of the yeah. year, almost with the films and the shows. Plus I think mm. Hawkeye's this year. Yeah, and then Doctor time. Strange oh and Thor: Love and Thunder and something else are next year. Is Black Panther next year Early as well? Year. Um, oh, so there's the Captain Marvel two, Guardians three. That they're all happening sort of 2022, 2023. Mm. Um, Ant Man, Quantum There's just so much happening. I think um, there is a lot, and obviously the pandemic doesn't help the fact that it's all kind of being condensed in a much shorter space of time. But I think yeah. because they are going more in different directions or different kind of genres, like Shang-Chi is obviously martial arts and internals is another sort of big kind of gods and space type thing. And obviously Black Widow is more grounded and uh, things like that. So I think there is kind of enough for me anyway, at the minute I might change my mind in like, six months three years time but i feel like <laughs> there's enough difference in the tone of these programs and films like same thing like one division is completely different to falcon and winter soldier so i feel like there's enough difference in the vibe and the genres that even though if that is all marvel it's different characters and different worlds and different genres that it's still enough to kind of differentiate between them and not get yeah. too bored and I think I do. I like the fact that we are we are having to basically start again, aren't we? Like we finished the Infinity War Endgame run, like the Thanos story is over. So now these next films, they don't have to really do much setting up of future films. Does that make sense? Like they're probably planting lots of seeds, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. not about telling the overarching story of the MCU again. You know, it's, I think they're all going to be a bit more standalone for a while until the next Avengers film, which whenever that comes out. Because they're going to look very different in the, in that lineup. Yeah, because um, there'll be whole new characters or like characters from before, much, yeah. but like ones that were sort of secondary Avengers as well. Because all like the core Avengers aren't really there. It'd be yeah. like Thor maybe and Hawkeye if he wanted to, <laughs> but like yeah. like the, and, and maybe Hulk as well. But like sort of the big sort of 
names in terms of the Avengers was obviously Iron Man and Captain America and obviously Black Widow being the first sort of female superhero in the Marvel Universe and they're all gone so it is going to be a different lineup of characters whenever there is an Avengers team up film or whatever description and I think that will be a lot of fun as well seeing how these other characters interact and stuff and like Ant-Man might get a bigger role and things like that I just think it's kind of incredible that, like Reese puts it, we're we're starting again with the MCU, and now we're going to like go into this entire like multi-decade era where we go on an entirely new journey. Like, <laughs> what what is the Avengers going to look like? That's such an exciting prospect. I mean, obviously, the laying the ground with Spider-Man to kind of take a, a bigger role as he kind of develops and figures out like his identity as that character, and, oh, and the possibility is just like proper make me grin because like there's so much that they could do and also as well like with the releases of like pvod and stuff like that now the fact that like shang chi will probably be on blu-ray by like october november mm. is insane like there's so much like there's content that's lined up it's like shang chi in cinema blu-ray and then what spider-man and eternals and then they'll be on blu-ray within like 45 days of being in the cinema i think that's just it's incredible <laughs> i love this new way of releasing films <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy but, it. Yeah. I do enjoy it. I think the fact that there is only going to be a, like a month wait between being able to watch it at home again. Like I can go and watch the really cool bit on the train in Shang-Chi in like 6 weeks after <laughs> the film. Like that's really cool. And I think it it's very consumer friendly. Like the ones who are big cinema fans like us, we can go to the cinema and watch it, but then we ha- can rest easy knowledge that we can then go home in 4 weeks and watch it at home. You know, and it's just yeah, it's cool. It's it's exciting. I will be watching Shang-Chi beat people up on the bus while I'm on the bus. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. As Kevin Feige intended. <laughs> <laughs> Just as he intended. <laughs> But yeah, that's kicking off phase four. And like I said, today we're here to talk about the early kind of films in Marvel with phase one. And on April 27th in 2011, Thor made his debut into the universe. Personally, I've always had a bit of love for this film, but I will... In Nick Deal style, uh, style fashion, I will read an IMDb synopsis just to honour the man, because <laughs> he's not on the podcast today. Here we go. The powerful but arrogant god Thor is cast out of Asgard to live amongst humans in Midgard, brackets Earth, where he soon becomes one of their finest defenders. And it's directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh. I didn't know he was a sir till today. <laughs> Funnily enough, I did not know that. <laughs> now, Reese. I'm coming to you first with this because you've you've been saying it for the past few days leading up to the podcast. You have thoughts on this movie. Start take us through what could be your potential issues with this film. <laughs> um, so I've recently kind of I was on Easter break the last two weeks, um, and I finally started an MCU rewatch that has been a long time coming. Like, I, I tend to watch kind of films randomly. I watch Avengers quite often. I'll go back to watch Guardians of the Galaxy or Ragnarok or something, and just because they're quite good. But I've never watched it from the start, really, since, you know, I started it back in 2008 when Iron Man came out. So it's been really nice revisiting them. Um, and as it stands, I finished Phase 1 as of about two days ago, and Thor is currently dead last of the Phase 1 rankings. Um, yeah, and I think it surprised me as well, because I remember enjoying it when I saw it in the cinema, and I think it's probably the w- one of the films I've watched the least in the MCU. 
Um, and I just remember my th- my overall feeling of it is I don't think there's enough Thor being Thor in it. Like he obviously goes through a middle the middle section of the film. He is entirely powerless. Um, and it just feels like I didn't get enough of that sweet Mjolnir action I wanted. Um, <laughs> but then you contrast that with, I think, the stuff in space is actually really fun and really good. Like, I really enjoy the the Frost Giants battle in the early part of the film. I thought that's really kind of fun. It shows Thor at his kind of most arrogant, and it's just the way his kind of how he brings the demise of kind of his kind of air. Lo- Air, air, dumb. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. He's going to become kind of king of Asgard. Um, but that just doesn't kind of happen because of his own kind of undoing. And I really liked the kind of whenever we jump to Loki when he's back on Asgard and he's trying to take over the the land. And I thought, yeah, this is re- that's the really cool bit. And then you go to Earth to a small town that's clearly just like a set in the middle of a desert. And I'm like, come on, man. Marvel is bigger than this. <laughs> like, it's just, it feels, it feels more than most of the other films in the phase one. It feels very small and very self-contained when it's on Earth. And it just, it left, it left me wanting more. Because having seen how good Thor has become later on in films like Ragnarok and Infinity War Endgame, like, I really like him as a character now. I just didn't like him as much in his early days. So... I'm, I'm happy to be convinced that I'm wrong. Like, I'm here to. I want to. I'm, I'm confessing my sins here on the podcast live. Um, so, but yeah, I don't want to be a full on negative kind of vibe on the on the film because it's not as if it's terrible. I did enjoy it. I just have issues with it, and those are kind of yeah. the summary of of, of them. Uh, it's interesting because in in my notes that I have scri- like scribbled down for this episode, I put two points that you brought up there. Um, I put. Big big frets on a small scale. <laughs> Just a sentence there. <laughs> <laughs> and then Thorless, a lot of the film. Yes, he <laughs> is Thorless. <laughs> but I was thinking about this while watching it, and if you compare it to like the other MCU films, they kind of follow the formula where they become the kind of, like at least visually, the superhero in at least the first 30 minutes or so, mm. and then they're like that for the rest of the film. Like with Iron Man, he get he obviously makes the suit and he escapes, and then he's kind of testing the technology as the film goes on. And in Captain America, he he becomes Captain America, and he's he's got like the kind of like ragtag uh, costume, and he gets the proper one, and you see him like in costume all through the film. And I thought with this, it was kind of interesting that Kenneth Branagh kind of gives you like the meat of like the character in the first twenty minutes or so when he's fighting everybody. Um, and fighting all the frost giants and whatnot, and then for the rest of the movie, he's powerless, and you don't see him have that transformation till the end. I just thought it was quite an interesting contrast to the other movies because it was like Kenneth Branagh was kind of changing the formula in a very small way, even then in in the Phase One era. And then on your other point about the scale of the movie, I kind of like that it's small. Like having like all these movies now, yeah, have a little fight in a fifty style like town yes. get your buddies together and you've got like volstag running through the street going for asgard <laughs> and it's, it's incredible <laughs> i don't know man. it's just like that town is so clearly out of time like it literally <laughs> exists on its own kind of plane and it's just really odd and like i'm not saying i'm not kind of saying you're wrong or anything i just think that it doesn't work as well as it should like the idea yeah. of thor having to win back the right to be thor is a really clever idea. I just think they, because it went so small, and I also felt that the way he runs it back was a bit kind of, of an easy way out. There was like, oh, he's become brave again. Hey, well done. 
No, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I just want, I wanted more from it. And I realise it was early doors MCU, but I just think it just, it leaves a bit to be desired, in my opinion. Yeah. Eleanor, I know you're a big kind of fan of, of the Loki character. And I was thinking when I was, when I was watching this earlier, like, Thor as a character has gone through, like, a lot of shit over the <laughs> MCU. I think he's had, like, the most, like, emotionally impacting things happen to him all the way through his journey. Like, this film, he has to sever his ties from Earth, and he loses, like, uh, like falling in love, and he loses his brother, and then in the second movie, his mum dies, and then he's got to fight people in space, and, and like, and then Loki again. dies again, but then Loki's <laughs> not dead, and it's like, and then and then Heimdall dies, and it's like, just give the man a break. <laughs> give him a break. Yep, yep, that kind of sums him up well, and I think... Yeah, I think it is sort of when you think of Thor, you don't really think of his like trauma or everything he's going through because yeah, it's kind of one traumatic event in a film type thing. But when you add it up, yeah. it's like a hell of a lot. <laughs> I'm like, no, no <laughs> wonder after uh, not going for Thanos's head, he had a bit of a breakdown. Um, and I just think that I personally really like the first Thor film. It's one that I kind of forget about a bit when people are like ranking MCU films or talking about their favourites and stuff. But when I rewatch it, I remember how good it is or how much I like it. And I think I've just had a look and it's like 10 or 11 in my MCU ranking. And uh, I think I, I like the small scale of it. I think the reason why the first Iron Man is still like in my top five is because of the small scale of it really and the fact that like in Iron Man it's Tony against his mentor and in Thor it's Thor against his brother Loki and I just really like the sort of more smaller scale familial battles and because they have more emotional weight to them really than sometimes the end of the world scenario does and I think that yeah, I think it's the dynamic that it sets up between Loki and Thor is really good. I think Hemsworth and Hiddleston yeah. are both brilliant in the roles, and I f- still find it very funny that Hiddleston auditioned for Thor because like, <laughs> I was like, I can't believe that he would do that or like that that was even a consideration. And uh, but yeah, I think that their sort of chemistry between them is great and I just think that they sell that relationship and how that relationship has gone on for so many films and stuff that then makes the end of that relationship sort of more heartbreaking and stuff um but yeah I'm I'm a Thor fan Chris you were saying just before we start recording that you've not seen this in a while um recollecting it do you, does it still hold up in, in your thoughts or you're not too sure no i mean I, i'm trying to, i think it was last year i've last watched it so fairly recently and i've seen it enough times um so you know to remember it um i think um i like the small scaleness it that each film in phase one had because it built towards this sort of climactic event that was avengers assemble you know they're all mm-hmm. kind of small well, first avenger maybe not as small but it's still you know cap's story um and it doesn't kind of link to the overarching MCU as much. So I think the small scale with little hints to the other films and building to this bigger universe was one of the strengths of Phase 1, which made Avengers Assemble work so well. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I... no, go on, sorry. I think some of the actors in this film get shortchanged a bit, which is perhaps why, with um, not necessarily Branner's fault, but I think just the tone they went for with the characters, uh, they get more to do in later MCU appearances. 
So, like, yeah. you think how good the cast in this film is. Natalie Portman, Stellan Skarsgård, Hemsworth. Um, Hiddleston's probably the only actor who comes out really well. Anthony Hopkins, obviously, as well. Um, like, I don't feel any of them shine as much as they should do. Except for Tom Hiddleston. And even he is probably better in his later MCU appearances. It's funny, because I actually think that in, in Thor, that it's probably my favourite performance for the Loki character, actually, um, out of all the MCU appearances being in. I kind of like the more vulnerable side of the character in this film, as opposed to his later appearances, where he is a bit more cocky and, and sure of himself as he takes on like the Avengers and works with Thanos and whatnot. I like the, the dynamic, as Eleanor has said, with um, with Thor in this as well. Yeah. And I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a really good scene... And when he visits Thor after he's tried to get Molny and he's he's kind of like lying to him, obviously that his father's died when that's not the case. But you get that emotionality, even though he's he's lying to his brother. There's still like that kind of heart there behind him that he does care for him, but his like goals and greed have overcome that. And I think he portrays it really well. And again, like, like I've seen the fo- like the very small footage of him auditioning for the character and. Fair play, mate, but I just don't think it was for you, my friend. <laughs> I don't think this role was for you. I was reading on the trivia for the film that um, Chris and Liam, they both flew over to audition for this. Like, imagine yeah. me like Liam M's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to audition. Oh, okay. <laughs> Chris has got another role <laughs> in a big movie. <laughs> Guess I'll do Hunger Games instead. <laughs> <laughs> what had Chris done? Can you imagine if it was the other way around and Chris Hemsworth was in Hunger Games? <laughs> what had Chris done before this? Was it just like Home and Away and, Star- and yeah, Star Trek? Yeah, I think yeah. Star yeah, Trek I think so. And he's only and he was in Star Trek literally five minutes, if yeah. that. And he, to be fair, he's also really good. Most memorable Trek. five minutes ever. Really good. I think, I, I think so because he does. Sacrifice. He was very good in that film, yeah. And I think that's kind of his big break, even though he's literally in it for about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, what they do with, with S.H.I.E.L.D. in this film as well obviously yeah. after Iron Man 2 uh, they've started laying the seeds towards the Avengers like you said and I do like that S.H.I.E.L.D. has a bigger part to play in this as they, as opposed to doing in Iron Man 2 because they're kind of just there to be like Tony build this thing like <laughs> we're not going to tell you how to do it but you know build this thing please and that's their kind of <laughs> role in the film and that's it <laughs> whereas in this they've got a very active role in like monitoring the situation and the threat that's coming and I like uh, Coulson in this film, or Son of Cole, as is referred <laughs> to in the finale. Yeah, that's a nice line. <laughs> I do like his interactions with Thor, and yeah, I just like, like again, it's interesting to look back on these films now that we've had so many, and just how they were planting the seeds back then. I also like, as well, with these earlier films, I like how they look, because they, they stopped shooting most of the Marvel films on, on film, and they started like, going for a more digital look, and they all kind of look uniform um mm. for consistency sense i guess but i like the sets in this i think the set design is absolutely incredible for like when they're in the um, like the gateway that Heimdall protects mm. i think that whole set looks absolutely immaculate yeah. and the costume design's great because i think the costume design has changed as well in marvel like looking at shang chi yesterday a lot of the costumes now are going for that kind of like rubbery latexy look mm-hmm. I've seen the concept designs for the Eternals as well, and that's kind of going for the same thing. Whereas with these earlier films, it's all like very much like these multi-layered part costumes, and they're all like intricately designed. And again, just interesting to see how they've changed. But I will say, 
and again, this is a problem with with Marvel films that we discussed a little bit as well on the um on the Zack Snyder Justice League podcast on the Patreon. The score for this film is a bit underwhelming. No. <laughs> oh really? Do you like the it's score? It's one of my favorites. Like really? Yeah, just the I maybe it's just like Asgard's theme. I just love because mm. I feel like that when you see Asgard and going across the Rainbow Bridge for the first time and like Thor's gonna get coronated and whatever and all that stuff. I just think that the music for Asgard is just suitably epic and I don't know maybe like I do admit sort of maybe it's that that sticks in my mind and the rest of the score for various other scenes on earth and whatever it doesn't really stick out but I feel like the sort of Asgard theme is like it's not as iconic as the like Avengers theme but I feel like the one for Mm -hmm. Asgard is great and I feel like how that's been kind of used or echoed in the rest of the Thor films shows how kind of good it was and kind of I think like it helps set up Asgard as a character and as its own place because obviously it's somewhere we've never seen before and is vastly different to Earth and so I think having that sort of motif just adds to sort of the grandeur of the place. See I find it interesting that you said that you like the Thor theme because I saw saw the film two years ago and I can't think what the theme is whereas (laughs) I think that's an issue really in the Marvel universe. And like you said, the Avengers theme is really good. Everyone knows the da-da-da-da theme now. Like it's become a bit more iconic. Whereas that's the only one in the whole MCU that has really kind of broken through. If, I remember I watched a video on YouTube about it a long time ago. And it was one of those things where this guy went out on the street and he asked people to hum the Avengers theme. And they all did. And asked them, can you do the Iron Man theme? Can you Spider-Man theme? They knew that one. But they couldn't do Thor, Captain America, like... Even though when you watch the films, the music is often quite nice and quite good to listen to, it doesn't stick in the memory. I think it's all very much, like you said, about how the visuals are very kind of the Marvel aesthetic. I think music kind of follows a similar structure um, and it does kind of fall away a little bit and it gets lost amongst everything else. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it gets a little bit of brownie points from me because this film has a, a Foo Fighters song on the soundtrack, so... <laughs> You know, extra two stars there. <laughs> but yeah, it, the Asgard theme, like you say, yeah, when when I do think about the film, that's probably is the most memorable piece of music. And I do love the opening scene when he is get coronated and the kind of gleeful nature of it. And again, the set design is incredible. And speaking to the aesthetic of the film as well, like, is it me or is every other shot in this movie like a Dutch angle where it's like <laughs> tilted to the side like everything is tilted to the side like the first couple of times I saw this film I thought yeah it looks pretty cool but like watching it today it's like Jesus they're only talking about like a cup of coffee or something it's like let's tilt it 90 degrees <laughs> there's, there's a shot every shot there is there's a shot I remember I forget what it's called you know that you know the robot thing that attacks the town at the end there's yeah. a shot when I think Thor is like staring it down for the first time properly when he's not full Thor yet and the camera is like the, is just on an angle for no reason at all. I'm like, he, if Thor was on his angle, I'd get that. Fine, just from his shot. But it's just on an angle for no reason. I'm like, this adds nothing. This adds nothing. It's so bizarre. I have a question about the finale, and I don't know if you guys may think the same, but do Chris Hemsworth's eyes change colour? <laughs> This is just something that I was watching it and I, I thought his eyes seemed darker than usual like for the rest of the film. Maybe it's just the way it was lit and the angles they choose. It's probably because it was tilted like <laughs> 2,000 degrees to the left or whatever. 
But I, I don't know. Just a random tidbit I did in my notes there. Like, do do his eyes change colour? I wanted to see if you guys picked up on that. Clearly not. No. So I'm, I'm going to leave that point his, in the dust. I know they dyed his eyebrows blonde for this one. And then they just um, did oh, yeah, the rest regrettably. of them. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's a shot where he's on the floor, I think, after he tries to pick up Molny And it's like, man, why? What why colour do they, they change the to eyes you? to? Are they, like, blue? Like, so it's a bit more, like, thundery. Well, his eyes are, like, really like, vibrant blue throughout the rest of the film. And... Then in the finale, there's a couple of shots where he's like, obviously staring down the big sentinel thing, and they look like really dark brown. And I'm like, what, what's going on? <laughs> it's so weird. He's staring into Hemsworth's Honestly, eyes. go back and watch it after this. You'll, I was you'll say, notice yeah, it. His dreamy eyes just, just caught you off guard there, mate. Exactly. <laughs> I was swooning over in the entire film, and then the spell was broken in that moment. <laughs> You've just projected that he's got blue eyes the whole time. Maybe he was actually brown the entire, the entire film. <laughs> Exactly, I could be entirely wrong and just like seeing him in this in like dream image throughout the entire film. That's just the, just the effect. Just stereotypes of blonde hair, blue eyes. That's what you're going for. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I do have in my notes. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is great, and then under that, I put like two quotes that he says in the film because they stick out just because the way he says them. Uh, the first one is the way he goes, "Silence," yeah. when he appears on the Frost Giant planet. Yeah. And then the second one is when he's telling Thor off um, while Heimdall is present, and he goes, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that when he like? I just always thought that was absolutely hilarious. Oh, yeah, I think especially after the like, "Yeah," it's like Hiddleston sort of like shocked, wide-eyed, stumble back as well. Yeah. It's just like, oh my god. <laughs> Did you just yeah at me? What? <laughs> <laughs> it's made even better because on the trivia for the film, it says, "Well, they filmed that specific scene." Um, Anthony Hopkins improved a lot of like the lines that he was saying as he was banishing Thor, and apparently like the cast and crew were crying. Like, can you imagine crying as Anthony Hopkins goes, "Yeah!" <laughs> he's terrifying, man. He, he's, he's, he's wicked. A, he's a scary guy. <laughs> Wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. I think, yeah, I think yeah. he definitely deserves praise. Like, he's really, really good as Odin. Like, even <laughs> just the bit when he speaks into the hammer and says, "Like, only those who already can have the power of uh, beyond it, whatever." Like that line is just really well delivered, and it's just that that is the entire plot of the film, just in one really cool shot when he just chucked the Mjolnir, chucked Mjolnir through the uh, the Bifrost, and it's just yeah, he's wicked as the both of their dads. He's really really good. He's... Like he's he was a great get for Marvel, I think, because he sold that kind of legendary character really well. Like obviously, you don't see him do much fighting. You just know that he is fucking the god of thunder. Quite literally, he is Odin. You know, he is the dude, and he sells that really, really well. <laughs> I like seeing Anthony Hopkins in, like, a mentor-type role, because the vibes he gives me in this are a lot like in Mask of Zorro. Oh. <laughs> like, when he's training Antonio oh, Banderas, yeah. I get a, a lot of those vibes in, in this film. Mm. Oh, that, oh, that that film is incredible. He makes that film as well. I think he really sells not having much screen time in any of the yeah. Well, it's not a trilogy, but you know what I mean? The films we've had so far, especially Ragnarok, he's yeah. not in much at all. Um, but he, he does make the most of having limited screen time. Rene Russo, I feel, gets shortchanged a little bit. She does. Uh, I mean, obviously, Endgame, obviously back, Endgame, yeah. Endgame, she has that, you know, the couple of scenes, and, and that kind of does redeem a lack of stuff to do before. But, like, she kind of gets killed halfway through Dark World, and we hadn't really got to know her character. Mm in a meaningful way whereas if you have more connection with odin because he's kind of the main driving plot of all the films really yeah 
I, when I was like I looking at like kind of, Thor's kind of journey from this and all the way I think that's to what Endgame. Thor Ragnarok does well, sorry, is that it's all an ad on a Lasgard, you know? Yeah. 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 Like it really kind of it builds up that world a bit better, whereas obviously Thor the Dark World and Thor the first one is very much kind of centered on Earth. And it's nice that we got to see that world. Ooh, that's my microphone, I think. Um <laughs> that's really centered on that world. And it does help us build it. So you've got that weird Matt Damon kind of acting scene, <laughs> which is just legendary. Um, but yeah, no, I think... more of that as well. <laughs> yes, with um, oh, there's someone big in it, haven't they hired Melissa, Maca- Melissa McCarthy, isn't it? Playing um, potentially, Ella. yeah. And Ross Russell Crowe's in it, but Russell Crowe—that's the one. I think what that's the flip? Oh my god, I forgot I, Russell Crowe. I don't know cast. what the flip he's doing. Sam Neill as well as Odin. Sam Neill too. Yeah. Is that? I thought Sam Neill was just generally wasn't... hanging around because like he lives in there or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, th- I think they're all playing the parts they played in Ragnarok again. Yeah, but Russell Crowe's Liam... new, so he could. Was be... Liam Hemsworth playing Thor in it, or was it Luke? One of the two. Luke Hemsworth, I think it was. Yeah, Luke Hemsworth. Yeah, but that, that scene was so naff, but it worked. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> but here's a, here's a shout: Russell Crowe is going to play like the theatrical version of Thanos. <gasps> <laughs> is that true? I have no that'd idea. Be, I'm just that'd be nasty, but yeah, that would be fun. But... That'd be class. <laughs> oh my god, I'd, I'd pay to watch like a theater production of like Endgame with Russell Crowe, Thanos instead, like in practical makeup. That'd be incredible. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, like looking at Thor's kind of journey from from this and over over to Endgame, I do miss aspects of the character that are present in this and and i get he has to obviously overcome and become like a more confident king worthy character but i do miss the kind of cockiness of him Mm. like he's willing to go into battle he's hungry to fight people and i wish that was kind of present in endgame in the last battle can you imagine like if he was like giving all these kind of lines like next and (laughs) I, i want more of that like going forward and maybe we'll get that in love and thunder now that the character himself is like embraced um like the powers beyond the hammer which is something i think about as well in this a lot of the film is anchored on him being worthy of molny and possessing that power and then when you look at endgame he's like now nah, i'm just gonna use this big axe now mm. dude captain america you can you can do what you want with molly <laughs> <laughs> i just love that he's kind of got got past relying on the weapon and now he's like relying on himself i think that's a great arc um for the character like from this film Looking at the other films in in Phase One, I am so I know they had to set it up for the Avengers that having Thor being part of that, but I am surprised that they kind of started laying the cosmic kind of beats that early as well. Mm. I thought they might have, like looking back and it kept it a bit more kind of grounded, like with Captain America being somewhat grounded and Iron Man and uh, Incredible Hulk as well, even though he's a big like giant green fight machine, um, it's still like it's still, grounded yeah. in, it's still in some space, reality. Yeah. yeah, so I'm really surprised he did go like that to that length with Phase One, and obviously it led to the Avengers. Um, out of the overall kind of portrayals of the character, I'm not sure Thor in this one is my favorite. Mm. Probably, probably in Ragnarok. I think that I, I don't know if you guys agree, but Thor in Ragnarok is pretty much spot on for the character. Uh, yeah, into Infinity War as well for me. I think Infinity yeah, War. I think that's probably where I am too. Oh, it's such a don in Infinity War when he shows up. Oh my god! Yeah, I think a mixed a mixture of the two for me. I think um, the kind of arc from Infinity War and Ragnarok into Endgame. I know he's he's controversial in Endgame, but um, most of Endgame as well. It is really well done. 
Mm. And Hemsworth absolutely nails. And it's probably the hardest work he's had to do with the character because he's having to convey, you know, humour, sadness, loss, all that kind of stuff at the same time. Mm. And he pulls it off. Yeah, he really and, he's, and he's acting with uh, a raccoon and a tree for most of Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> and he still manages to pull it off. And a giant dwarf. <laughs> he's great in Infinity War. Like, his journey oh, to so Nidavellir and trying to get Stormbreaker built. Yeah, stuff. it's superb. His interaction with Rocket is really good. And I just, I really like the little subtle kind of world building they do. Like how Thor speaks all the Groot and all that stuff. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Ragnarok, what it does for the character and making him embrace that he is the lightning. It's not Mjolnir, it's him that has the power of thunder. I really like, I love that scene like on the uh, the Bifrost bridge when he finally kind of fully embraces lightning and then kind of just that shot when his eyes light up in lightning, you're just like, oh shit, that, that's him. <laughs> that's the boy. <laughs> and that really does build into kind of the building of Stormbreaker as well because obviously the clue's in the name that he's broken from needing Mjolnir to become his true form. Um, and I know there was a lot, it was a lot kind of said about how, oh yeah, Thor's now, he doesn't have normal Mjolnir, so he's fine, but now he's going to get a new weapon. But it's like, yeah, but that weapon's fucking cool. <laughs> and like, I think Thor with his massive new axe, that's also built by his mate, like his Groot helped him build it, you know, like that wouldn't be a thing without Groot. I think that's a really nice touch of it. And it's just, yeah, I think Thor's progression is up there with kind of Captain America for me as the best kind of development of, across the whole of the MCU in terms of how much I've loved a character grow over kind of the space of 10 years. Yeah. I like the, what you've said there with the Rainbow Bridge, because um, if you think about it, two of Thor's biggest conflicts have both taken place there. Mm. I've like, obviously got it here in the first film, and I think it's interesting that this film has kind of two finales in a way, where you've got the kind of town fight, and he, he embraces himself and becomes Thor again properly. And then you've got the actual finale on Asgard where he destroys the Rainbow Bridge and it's kind of like a really hefty emotional finale and I like that they kind of went for that Mm. as opposed to just having a big massive smash up in a town be the end of the movie they went for. Like, now I've got to go confront my brother. I like that it went for that aspect as opposed to just the big fight. And then obviously in Ragnarok, again, he's got to separate his connection from Asgard and get everybody like uh, free of the planet because of the huge threat from... Oh, I forget her name now. What's her name? What's Hella. Kate Blanchett's name? Hella. That's it. Hella. Because she's going to fuck everybody up, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I like that two of the biggest conflicts have taken place on that world. And again, it just speaks to the world building that they do in this film. I think we'd be remiss as well if we didn't mention some of like the kind of side characters, like Lady Sif and the Warriors 3. Mm-hmm. I really, really like Ray Stevenson as Volstagg <laughs> yes. in this film. He's fun. He's, he's not in it a lot. But when he is in it, he's incredible. He has some great lines as well. I love him. Like, I can't even think of them now. But like when these, they're all kind of like, like I think he's eating after Thor's kind of been banished, and someone says something <laughs> like, "How can you eat in the time like this?" And he's just gorging himself and stuff, and it's just all just <laughs> like those, like, and yeah, and I like how they're described by the Shield agents when it, they're sort of saying like Robin Hood, Cena, and Jackie Chan are here type thing. <laughs> it's just, like, <laughs> I think, yeah, it kind of shows how different they are it's, it's weird because there are rumors again i don't want to bring up dc too much but <laughs> um jimmy alexander who plays lady sif she, apparently she auditioned for wonder woman and if that had gone through again i think it would be interesting seeing her kind of die from one universe to the other because mm. there is actually another character 
um, who's part of the Warriors Free, who changes in yeah. for the Dark World, <laughs> and it's um, what's his name now? Zachary it's something Brody. Uh, Levy. No. Is it Zachary Levi? I, f- I thought it was the other guy who who plays uh, the adult version of Freddy in Shazam. But uh, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Now his his face is in my head with the fake beard. <laughs> it's Zachary Levi. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and he's there basically to get killed off. Well, he does. He, does. he was in <laughs> yeah, it's a... Dark World as well because it it was um I can't think of the actor's name, but it was like from um he then was in like Prince Charming and Once Upon a Time so that's why he, he couldn't come back for Oh that's why they cast right. Zachary in the second two. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but it, it's a weird recast because he gets more to do in this one than he had to do in the next two because in the in Ragnarok they all literally turn up and are killed. <laughs> yeah. Like I think they <laughs> maybe have less than a minute of screen time. <laughs> yeah, at least Lady I can't Sith wasn't really there, remember so she can be Dark off somewhere World. in the universe to Well, she's come back. back now, isn't she? Finally, after like nine years or something. <laughs> is she going to be in the next one? Uh, I think it's finally officially confirmed, yeah, because there was the whole where was she during, A, I think the Avengers films, and B, during uh, Ragnarok. Yeah. But yeah, her, her and Jane won't have been in it since the Dark World. I know, obviously, Natalie Portman filmed some scenes for Endgame, but it was mostly like stock footage. Yeah. Um, so live, neither of them have really done anything since Dark World. I hope she comes back, because I, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I think Natalie Portman and like, Jane Foster, they don't really have that much chemistry no, like, in any of the films that they're in. No. <laughs> I don't really None. buy the relationship between them. And then they kind of set up like in very small increments that Lady Sif kind of like cares about for in a romantic way, and it's never really explored beyond that in the other films. After, um, whether they explore that in Love and Thunder, I, I doubt it, but it'd be cool to see. Uh, that's probably the most negative aspect for me mm. of this film is a lot of obviously Thor's kind of transformation is that his anchor to Earth is is Jane Foster, and that's why he's like going through this emotional change but i don't buy it i don't i don't get no. why all they did is like sit under some stars and he drew a picture in a notepad <laughs> and now they're in love like is it's... that really how you're gonna sell it to I me i think it helps that chris hemsworth's a very good looking guy and i think <laughs> she's just been like i want a piece of that <laughs> <laughs> it's a real weak link in the film yeah. um like yeah, it, it just doesn't really go anywhere, and and I think she's a tremendous actress, and I think he's a brilliant actor, and it's a real shame they couldn't have written it better or done a bit more with it. Yeah, I mean, I think she gets a she, bit more. She... Sorry, sorry, Sam. No, go on, mate. Go on, mate. I think she she gets a bit more to do in Dark World, even though Dark yeah. World is a bit of a shit show. Well, she's um... the, the story kind of revolves around her, doesn't it? Dark yeah. World. Yeah, that's true. It's... So I am excited to see what she can do in Thor: Love and Thunder. Like, if she's becoming Lady Thor, which I think is heavily suggested, mm-hmm. that's pretty exciting. Yeah, and I think it will be interesting because obviously, like, I suppose it's sort of I don't know the decisions when it comes to when these things are filmed and who's available and stuff. But like, obviously, in the Avengers, Thor's told that they've hidden Jane somewhere, but like Eric Selvig's got caught and is being controlled by Loki and all that stuff. So you kind of imagine what if their roles had been reversed and Jane had been the one that was being mind controlled and stuff. That would have been more of a maybe more of a better connection maybe and obviously give her more to do and things like that. And then you probably wouldn't have had the subplot of 
Selvig going slightly bonkers and running around naked Stonehenge. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think, yeah, I, I, I think their relationship's sweet, but it is obviously just the, the beginning of a relationship or not even a relationship, the beginning of a fancying of someone. And yeah, like, yeah. I think she does the flustered very well and like how, like, the... Yeah, like when he says things or looks at her or kisses her hand and she gets all blushy and stuff. Like it's easy to do if Hensworth did that. But I think um, <laughs> I think that's really sweet. And I do like the dynamic between her, Darcy and Eric, I think, as kind of Earth-based characters and having them being scientists is kind of does bring that balance and kind of makes the whole sort of magic and space aspect like a bit more grounded or a bit more kind of sort of understandable or not too out there when as we say right back in the beginning of phase one Thor was kind of the sort of out of left field choice in terms of would people understand this would people like this because it's sort of Shakespearean brothers feuding in space type scenario so Mm. I think that yeah to have the sort of little earth connection and science is magic type explanation helps as well I think what you say there as well, um, speaking to the actual canon lore of the character and the approach, like it being Shakespearean, Thor is an interesting character in itself in the MCU because he's not necessarily just like a comic book creation. He is obviously yeah. rooted in, in Norse mythology. And I think having that stance to play with in the MCU is is incredible in, in the scope that they can achieve as well because there's so much that they can pull from. And I think as opposed to any other character in the MCU his possibilities are, are pretty much endless because you could like bring other gods and other people similar to like wonder woman's kind of origins in in the dcu because her like father is zeus in that and they've got all the kind of greek mythology to play with there thor's got all the norse mythology to play with here and i, I wish that in like the further installments they kind of play with that a little bit more i mean in ragnarok they like go for it a bit there but i'm hoping in love and thunder they dive into it more and, and again i think kenneth Branagh, like just thinking about his filmography obviously he did hamlet as well and he's done a lot of kind of theater productions maybe that's kind of what drew him to direct this um because of that mythology i think again it's an interesting choice when you look at the directors of the phase one you've got john favreau who up until that point had made like pretty low scale like comedy films and whatnot and then again to give him big blockbuster speaks to kind of the ethos of going forward in the MCU. It's like, you've got these indie directors like with Shang-Chi, you give them big film immediately. And I think it's kind of unheard of, like, at that point that you would give somebody so much power and then get established the directors to do the rest of the movie. I just think it's incredible that John Favreau <laughs> kicked off this entire universe <laughs> and he was a genius. having the filmography. Yeah. Yeah, like, having the filmography behind yeah, him. Yeah, and the fact that he cast himself as happy and has kind of survived uh. Robert Downey <laughs> Jr. and keeps popping up in other films is a smart move on his part. Yeah. I always wondered why, like, I don't know if you guys know, why did he not direct Iron Man 3? Because uh, obviously ooh, he directed the first two. Question. I've always wondered why he didn't good do question. the third instalment. Just always, it's always, but he cast him. He's in it. He's in Iron Man Three. I'm he's happy yeah. with that. He got, he got the check. He turned up. He got put in yeah. hospital for the majority of the movie, but he was there. It is funny, <laughs> by the way, looking at Hogan as a character and how he beca- he started off as just Tony's driver, and then yeah. now he's like yeah. Spider Man's handler. <laughs> like yeah. that's quite the promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Favreau's raking that Peter Parker dollar. Yeah, 
Um, oh. Trying to think who else directed Phase One films. Is it Joe jo- Joe Johnson or Joe, Joe Johnson? Johnson, Johnson. Uh, First Avenger. Yeah. He um, he was quite a big name, wasn't he? Because he'd done like Jurassic Park and Jumanji. Yeah. Oh man, Jumanji! What a massive <laughs> banger as well. <laughs> and, uh, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I'd forgotten he'd done that as well. So he's, he's had another really? banger. <laughs> he's <laughs> track record is sensational. He's had quite a you know a good uh, a good run of things. Mm. Although he did make the weakest Jurassic Park film, in my opinion. But we won't we won't go hey, there. Jurassic Park three is alright, mate. It's alright. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's, I'm it's trying to think. Worse than who directed it's Incredible. Hulk. Better than Lost World. That was Lou. Oh, uh, Incredible. Yeah, ah. that does sound about right. Yeah. Director of the Transporter getting jiggy with the Hulk. Dark Crystal, Netflix series. I need to rewatch Incredible Hulk because I remember always liking that one, but it's kind of very fast and loose within the MCU. Mm. Yeah. Because obviously they've brought back uh, General Ross um, yeah. three or four times now he's come back because I think he's in Black Widow as well. Um, mm-hmm. But like, aside from that, there's next to no connection to the film. Well, isn't. I think there's a throwaway like, line Tony in Stark Avengers. In... But it's like Isn't a post-credit he... scene, and then they yeah, kind he of is. they but they sort of, what he they was did. there for. Yeah. Like, they made he... they made a short film about five years later with the real reason he was there. Yeah, because the start with it sounds like he's trying to recruit Ross to like the Avengers or telling him about the Avengers, and then in one of the short films with like Coulson and Sitwell, they're saying that the army wants um, like an abomination to be part of the Avengers and they don't want that so we need to send someone that annoys them so much that they give up on that idea and therefore that was Tony <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of interesting actually because the MCU is regarded as a universe that is pretty well known for setting the seeds and laying their un- like foundation of the universe down really well it's interesting that the Incredible Hulk like you say there was, was changed to reflect the, the upcoming Avengers film because mm. like other than Iron Man 1 post credit scene and like parts of Iron Man 2 the other films in this universe in phase 1 aren't geared towards like setting up that big Avengers conflict and I know it's just like the traditional kind of blueprint of you've got to set up the origin story and then we'll see them all team up mm. And each film kind of has the small scene to set up the Avengers, yeah. but it, it's just weird, like thinking about it now that it maybe wasn't as um, like coordinated as we might think. Because mm-hmm. like going phase two onward, like it's like, yeah, we're doing this, doing the big mm-hmm. Thanos conflict. It's going to come in seventeen billion films time, <laughs> and yeah. then we'll finally see it. I just think that's an interesting kind of anecdote on like the universe at the time. I think the phase one was probably seen as a bit of a litmus test. Yeah. I think Foggy had this obviously big plan of he wants to do a big Avengers kind of series. And he wanted to see how would this kind of... For the time, it's quite it was quite a high concept thing, wasn't it? Back in the early, kind of, sorry, the late t- 2000s. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> and I think Naughties. the fact yeah. that... Yeah, thank you very much. That was much better. The late 2000s, which we're still in, but whatever. Um... <laughs> Like, the Avengers made over a billion dollars, and I think that was a major sign that people wanted that kind of storytelling. And I think that was probably the, the touch paper to say, right, we're going to go forward with a quite a high-concept idea here that's never really been achieved before in cinema history. And I think it was just a lot of kind of testing the water. But if you even looking at films like... I just rewatched kind of Iron Man 2, which, by the way, is very good. Better than I thought yep. it was. Yes. I like it, <laughs> too. Yeah. Iron Man 2 was good. But I noticed more about Iron Man 2 that did set up in the future, kind of future things more than in Iron Man 1 and in Thor. 
like the the whole thing with uh, War Machine, I think is actually quite well done. It's better than I thought. You know, I think he hit his role in Iron Man Two is going to play a role in things like the Armor Wars that's coming out in like next yep. year, wherever. Like that's still in play. What happened, you know, back in twenty ten with Iron Man Two, and I think it's yeah, man, it's it's Iron Man Two definitely was probably the most forward thinking film, and then obviously Captain America one had the Tesseract in it. Um, uh, yeah, but I think. Yeah, I think Iron Man Two was probably the 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 one that was really looking towards the long term future of the MCU, not just towards the first Avengers film. There's a couple of things in this one that that do. I think you've got the Hawkeye cameo. Oh yeah, oh yeah, true. <laughs> I watched the film. Uh, um, the <laughs> I forgot it was there. And then obviously, <laughs> obviously, uh, Coulson and Shield popping up as well, and then the post credit mm. scene. So there are little links. The biggest, obviously, being Coulson's appearance yeah. and the Hawkeye mm-hmm. um, scene, which is so short. Um, I yeah. mean, it kind of explains who Hawkeye is when he then pops up in Avengers, but like, you'd still mm-hmm. kind of know who Hawkeye is if you hadn't seen. If, if he hadn't been in Thor as well. I don't know. I think I like the fact he was in Thor because it did show it's that a good the, scene. all the I did characters like it. were kind of pre-established. I think if you yeah. just showed up with a random bow and arrow guy, you'd thinking, who the hell is this guy? Because I, I never read Marvel as a kid, so I wouldn't have known who Hawkeye was without kind of his appearance yeah. in Thor. Um, but I mean, I'm glad he's in it. I just Hawkeye, man. I've got conflicted feelings on that guy. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I feel like I'm one of the few that likes him. I'm, I'm especially in Age of Ultron. I think he does get a really good arc there. Yeah, yeah. Him and Wonder are really good kind of double act. To be fair. Yeah, they're sort of pairing across four films or whatever it is. Three films mm-hmm. is really good. Like I know that we shouldn't really be praising the dude that directed Ultron anymore, but there are some nice kind of lines that Hawkeye says about. Like when he's in Sokovia and it's all being, stri- being destroyed, and he says to Wonder, "Like I'm gonna do with a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense." Like <laughs> yeah. that's a really lovely sentiment that he understands himself that he is the least kind of I don't want to say least effective, but he's the least kind he's of the most human his impact out of all of them. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, especially because it's hinted that like with Natasha in the Red Room and stuff that she's gone through some sort of like obviously training, but also that she might have had some sort of super soldier esque type serum and mm. all this sort of scenario so he is the most human out of the core avengers and out of any of the avengers really that are around now because mm. i think that's helpful like i feel like him as a character it's a bit it was a bit short change in terms of the avengers the fact that he was like brain mind controlled for like the majority of the film so you didn't get much mm. of him as in terms of personality and then they obviously tried to fix that in Age of Ultron by giving him the secret family, which sometimes I like and sometimes I don't. I mostly dislike it in the sense they clearly then paired up Natasha and Bruce because, God forbid, the woman not be with a man. And <laughs> um, But I think that, yeah, then having him sort of more grounded and having this more, like, non-superhero connections and stuff mm. therefore makes him kind of a good sounding board for, like, Wonder and other characters i just yeah he's my boy <laughs> and i think it does his kind of role with his secret family and stuff is nicely paid off in, in endgame as well mm-hmm. like that yeah. first scene is actually very effective in endgame um and i didn't think i'd be as kind of impacted by it as i was like obviously i think any family getting kind of torn apart by that would be sad but it was nice that we had that link to the character to think oh shit it's affecting 
our heroes directly now as well. Like it's mm-hmm. it was yeah, it was cool. Good payoff for him not mm. being in Infinity War as well to have him yes. be the the opening person in Endgame. Yeah, because especially as the audience, you know what's going to happen, so you're like, oh crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say on Hawkeye's inclusion in this film, his cameo is done a lot better than, I don't know, maybe getting an email with a team. <laughs> 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 I think his inclusion is a lot better than other examples out there. And and speaking on like Thor as a whole, as like the origin kind of blueprint, and we've obviously mentioned Shang-Chi at the beginning of the episode, I, I, it's interesting to see Marvel just... I hope they reinvent the kind of origin blueprint with Shang-Chi because mm. I don't want it to be a by-the-numbers thing where it's like, this is the guy and he grew up and he did this and oh, now he's a kung fu master <laughs> and blah, 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 blah. I, I need a bit more, like, oh, we've just had Endgame, which yeah. shook up the entire MCU and we've done all time travel time and stuff. Just give me something a bit different mm. in the blueprint, please. I'm ho- that, that's my hope. I'm Origin that, stories cause... are so tiresome in the MCU because they're all done in the same way. Yeah, yeah. Like Captain Marvel fell into that trap very badly. I think. Yeah, it did. Well, I wouldn't say so much because she had her powers. Because a lot of the time, it's someone oh. Oh, yeah. getting their but... powers or getting comfortable with them yeah. they are. Like obviously, it was her learning the full extent of her abilities and learning her past. But she was already quite confident and had powers mm. and all this sort of thing so i think it was a slightly different take on the origin but i feel like generally speaking an origin story is someone getting some sort of great power or responsibility or whatever making a few mistakes and then becoming a hero at the end so there's yeah. not too many ways you can twist that i don't think yeah i mean i think my favorite example of the origin story within the mc is probably spider-man homecoming mm. I was just thinking he, he is or yeah because he's like you say Eleanor, like Captain Marvel already had her powers Peter's already got his abilities like it like, in the universe I think it's like seven months at that point yeah. he's been Spider-Man in a way and he's just done like the Civil War conflict and I like that he's even though that's kind of small scale it's all kind of set in Queens until like the finale of the film again it kind of shakes up the formula to an extent where it feels fresh and looking at these earlier movies, even though Thor, like I said earlier, it tries to change it a bit by having him be Thorless for <laughs> the majority of the movie, it is still very much the early bru- like blueprint of like this, this, and this for the first 30 minutes, get to know who they are, and then the next 45 minutes is like a big super reaction, then you've got your finale and whatnot. I'm just hoping we can see something, a variation on that going forward. Uh, wrapping up, Final thoughts on Thor. Eleanor, I'm going to come to you first. Um, I just, I really enjoyed it. As we say, it's one that I kind of forget how much I enjoy it until I rewatch it. And I think that having the sort of family drama being at centre of it with Odin being a terrible father and like Loki's sort of jealousy and kind of maybe sort of thirst for power is understandable. I think that's as the films progressed, what what made him such an interesting and good villain, because you understood where he came come from, and it wasn't necessarily power for power's sake. He, he was a rightful king. He was just not of Asgard, and he just never knew that. So I feel like it's... And having Thor kind of on Earth and being powerless and all that stuff, I 
enjoy the sort of fish out of water aspect of it and it sort of adds an interesting dynamic to him both in with like his new human friends and in future avengers films so yeah i think it's a really solid marvel film i think it's sort of yes it has sort of the origin story blueprint but it's surprisingly funny at times and it's kind of the action's good and the sort of emotions are there and i think it's just sort of overall a very kind of cohesive and complete film also it's one of my mum's favorites <laughs> yeah so you go. I, I, I'd, I'd be ashamed if i didn't ask what your mum's thoughts were on oh Thor. yeah yeah does she have... she she big she, fan. Yeah, she's a big fan. Thor is one of her favourite characters generally. Him and Bucky Barnes are her two favourites. Mm. Um, and yeah, so you imagine her shock and despair when Bucky was the first one to disappear in Infinity War. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but I, I think the thing I always remember is like her saying like, how could they not realise they're not brothers? They don't look anything alike. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, she really enjoys Thor as a character in that film, especially, and likes the sort of Asgard stuff and like Heimdall and things. And I think, yeah, just how all the things entwined together just works really well. Chris, final thoughts on Thor? I, I, like, I like it, and I, I, I like the whole of um, Phase 1 being kind of this more self-contained... Um, entity that obviously still links to the wider universe. I think obviously it's you know things in the film get better in later films, um, but you know the blueprints are there. You get moments of of humor that really work. Yeah, I just I think it's is a really good kind of solid early early MCU film. Um, probably need to give Phase One a revisit to be honest. Reese, how about you? I know you've had some. Issues with it, but final <laughs> thoughts. I mean, I, th- I do think it's good. I think it's fun, and it's very much... I don't want to say of its time, because it's only ten years ago. But <laughs> <laughs> it does feel a bit kind of outdated compared to the rest of the MCU now. Um, yeah. Having said that, it has got really good bits in it, and I think, obviously, the Tom Hiddleston casting is a major win for the MCU, because his character is obviously still important today. Like we haven't even mentioned it, but I'm buzzing for Loki, the series that comes out like in about two months or so. Um, and I'm that's I'm I'm really excited to see kind of how Tom Hiddleston's character has evolved from the early days because in that film he's a bit of a whiny little baby, but <laughs> there are still kind of the <laughs> footprints of where he becomes and why he's such a good villain in Avengers and how he has stood the test of time. Um, and I think Chris Hemsworth is a very very kind of charming Thor. And I think it does show his kind of comedic ability really well, like with the whole another and all that stuff. I think it's funny. And I want your biggest animal. That was, that's, I like that scene as well. <laughs> um, I just think that it's not as kind of impressive as a film compared to, say, for example, the first Avenger in phase one. I think what the first Avenger does for kind of making it a World War II film as well as a hot origin story and how it builds up into Avengers is just really, really well done. And I don't think it has that same cohesive link to the rest of the MCU that the other films have in Phase 1. But it's still a fun time. I'm not not going to watch it again kind of thing. I just And it's been really fun talking about it actually. I've really enjoyed kind of talking about Thor and how yeah, he man. has evolved as a character. And obviously you, can't, you, you couldn't have had you know, the greatness of Thor Ragnarok without having the first Thor. I mean, so you've got to thank him for that in some, in some way. Um, so... <laughs> I'd be curious, I'm curious to see where it finishes in my kind of rewatch ranking. 
Because um, like I said, it's currently bottom, but there's only five films in. So we'll see where it finishes. I'll have to update you on Twitter when that does happen. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're wrapping up, but literally some new Marvel news has just dropped. <laughs> literally, um, in the last hour, uh, Amelia Clark joins Marvel's secret invasion at Disney Plus. Alongside Olivia Colman. Yeah. Right. There you go. I'm just going to pull up the article now, see if there's any more info. Uh, that sucks. It's a good cast for that, for sure. It's a great cast, it. Uh, Kingsley as well. Benadir, yeah. He's playing the villain. And then you've got, obviously, Nick Fury and... Mm-hmm. Um, ben Mendelsohn. Ben, ben Mendelsohn. I'd be surprised if Kobe Smulders wasn't in it as well. Mm-hmm. I reckon mm-hmm. we could probably see someone like... I forget the actress, actress name, but Monica Rambo could be in it as well because of the... Um, yeah, I think, I think so. the end of WandaVision. And Brie um, Larson, I would be very surprised if she yeah. didn't make an appearance. Like, I wouldn't be... This would link directly to Captain Marvel too. you would assume. I can imagine so, yeah. So, and heck, even Peter, you know Tom Holland could turn up as well with with the ending of um, Far From Home. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, so it will link to the Spider Man films, One Division, and Captain Marvel too. So it's got a lot of heavy lifting to do. <laughs> uh, Interestingly and notably, it says she's in final negotiations to join, and Marvel Studios have declined to comment, and reps for Emilia Clarke have not commented either. That's mm. not official. Official. Mm. Yeah. So it's not. It's not set in stone yet. I don't think Olivia wow. Coleman is either yet, is it? I'm not sure about her. I I thought I thought it was um done deal that. I thought it was I thought, I thought, it was that, I thought they were both in the same sort of stage, both final negotiations. I mean, I typically find that they don't normally kind of announce casting until it's fairly concrete. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There hasn't been any kind of miscasting at any point I can't think of anyway. Um no. So I mean, yeah, but I think Emily Clark's great. I think she's really good. Even you know, even in the diabolical Terminator Genesis, she's <laughs> fun in it. Janice Weiss, yeah. Um, and I think she's good at Solo. She was okay in. She was good at Solo, yeah. And I think even though she was given the world's shortest straw in Game of Thrones, she still did her the best she possibly could have done with the way her character was written in the final season. But that does that shouldn't diminish her work across the other seven series of really quality TV. Um, so I think she's a great actress, and I think yeah, she's. It- it's a shame she's not had anything outside of Game of Thrones on that level mm. to show mm. how good an actress she is. So hopefully this gives her a chance to do that. I hope so. Yeah. Secret Invasion, man. Yeah. So much content. When's that coming? Do, do we know when that's due? I imagine next year, if I had to predict. I think next year. I've, I've, I've yeah. just closed the article, <laughs> but I think it's next year. <laughs> if they're casting now, it will be production soonish, you'd imagine. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, if none of you have watched the uh, cartoon series Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes which is all on Disney Plus but it's a great Avengers cartoon and they do the mm. Secret Avengers uh, Secret Avengers oh. Secret Invasion storyline in it and it's really oh, good cool. so, oh amazing uh, yeah so if you fancy I'm, having a sneak at the peek. minute yeah the minute I am in a very Marvel mood in that like me and Sam have been pummeling avengers the game recently and which is surprisingly <laughs> quite good even though it's obviously it a bit kind of uh microtransaction-y i've avoided all of that and i'm enjoying playing the game when it's good fun and i mean i'm loving playing thor ironically as is the episode um so any marvel content give it to me i'm excited for falcon on friday i'll watch yep. avengers oh, my heroes exactly yeah the big finale i'm really excited for it yeah um and i i, I understand that there is the argument that oh, marvel's disney are killing cinema but when it's good, I mean, 
it's not all bad, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember if it's Secret Wars or Secret Invasion where it's like a cosmic battle where the Avengers have to fight each other. And I can't remember which one it is, but, but, but essentially what I'm getting at is that the black suit finds its way to Peter in one of those events. He's Superman. Because the symbiote is on a planet and it finds Peter on that planet and attaches to him when he goes back to Earth. I forgot Venom's coming out this year, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's... Yeah. Let there be carnage. That thing that apparently exists, even though we've seen nothing else since. <laughs> Directed by Andy Serkis. Is it? I'd forgotten yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and he's doing the mocap for it as well. Oh, Shit, Sorry. really? Stop. I did not know that. Yeah. Okay. Mate, announce <sighs> Venom. Man. Come on. Where is it? I want to see a trailer. Let's get Tom Hardy in the MCU. Let's yeah. make Maybe it. I really want to see like... Tom Holland versus Tom Hardy. Really is hardly. it loosely in the MCU? I think it's... so. I think they kind of hinted at it very, very, very loosely mm. in in Venom, um, <laughs> but I, I don't know how much. I hope so. Tom Hardy has gone on the record and said, "Well, I want to beat up Tom." <laughs> I think more than it being in the MCU, I think Holland Spider Man is recognised in that yes. universe, but they yeah, wouldn't recognise. So. so, like, because obviously with the weird nature of the Sony relationship, mm. I think he could appear in that, but that couldn't appear in the MCU or something like Talk that. A so random, a weird. random aside. Do you remember that weird day, like two days, when everyone thought Spider-Man was leaving the MCU? <laughs> yeah. Oh Christ! Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. Tom Holland <laughs> apparently <laughs> rang up. A dark time. That, drunk that was to someone and... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think if we, I think as far as I'm aware, the Venom is part of the Spider-Man Sony universe. So things yeah. like Venom and Morbius, which exists. Apparently. Oh, oh God, Morbius! <laughs> There's so much stuff, man. Is oh yeah, because the vultures at the end yeah, of the trailer. Yeah, that was, the Morbius. That was oh, my, my God. thinking behind. Is Venom part of oh. the MCU? Yeah. So yeah, I think there we go. I'm not sure. I I I would doubt if we ever see Jared as Morbius outside of his own film. <laughs> um, but I I I would love to see Venom in the MCU at some point, and yeah. that that could be a really fun kind of Spider-Man four storyline especially um, tom hardy's mm-hmm. venom because like that whole dynamic yeah. between him and venom like it was hilarious <laughs> yeah <laughs> i just love to see other people react venom, to man. right i've not watched it i don't think since the cinema but i remember distinctly quite enjoying the first two-thirds of it oh, i've watched it multiple times i invited like pre-covid like, i invited my friend around specifically to my house to watch venom <laughs> together because he'd not seen it you need to watch this and he he loved it. He thought it was a. Like he said, like Sam, this film is shit, but it's good shit. <laughs> I've not seen it. I think the review pummeling just put me off. Oh, Chris, uh, Chris, you've got to I watch Venom. It was on it's Netflix. I don't know if it still is, but when I watched it, when it was on Netflix, and I was just like, this is just joyous in such a weird mm. way. If I if I can leave you with anything on this episode, Chris, it would be that in Venom. Tom Hardy puts himself inside a lobster tub in a restaurant <laughs> and like does. just chills out and has a bath, like essentially oh. in a lobster tub. It's absolutely glorious. It's amazing. <laughs> it just sounds batshit, but I'll it is, it man. Go. It is. <laughs> like oh, it dear. does. Everyone watch Venom. Yeah. If you learn anything from this Thor episode, it's just, you should watch Venom. <laughs> yeah. And also, Michelle Williams' boyfriend in that is the most understanding man I have ever seen in any type yeah. of film. He just rolls yeah. with everything. <laughs> <laughs> final, final thoughts is watch Venom and Eminem if, you, if you're listening to Jumpcast because I'm sure you are um, come back and do the theme tune for Venom 2 and Morbius like, don't even re- don't write a new song just take Venom and do Morbius like, just, Mobius, just Mobius. do that <laughs> I'll be happy and 
amazing things like Eminem coming back to do the Morbius theme are made possible by our Patreons. <laughs> at the amazing way. <laughs> at the Only God Subscribes tier. They have made Eminem singing Mar- every theme tune now for the MCU is going to be Eminem. <laughs> Same song, just name replacement. Thor, Thor, Thor. And that's made possible by Chris Wilson, Enon Films, Zoe Baines, Dow Griffiths, Sam Luck, Ola Smith, Peter Hodgkins, Andy Meakin, Fabiona Rosas, Hamish Calvert, Martin Richmond, Manuel Bento, Robert Denny, and our newest Patreon subscriber, Javier Loring. Thank you so much for your support. I hope you're enjoying all these renditions of Eminem for the MCU. <laughs> There's more to come. It's glorious future ahead for Marvel. Forget like the crossovers. Forget the new Avengers. It's all about music and the synergy of Eminem with ev- every character in the MCU. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Chris, watch Venom, please. Yeah, uh, on my please on watch my it. on my to do list. And I want I want a review in the chat of what you thought about Tom Hardy. Eating lobster, <laughs> he, 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 the lobster's alive. Re- regrettably, <laughs> didn't even cook it. Like I feel bad for the guy. Oh dear. <laughs> but uh, it's been a great episode, guys. Thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you to Eleanor. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. Pleasure as always. And thank you, Reese. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this. I had a great time. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll see you again soon. Bye.